0: Our God is a missionary God, and we are his missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.
1: So you may wonder, what does an ancient nursery rhyme, Ring Around the Rosie, have to do with COVID? Why don't you hang around and let's see? Today on The Scent Life, we're going to talk about Christians responding to sweeping illnesses. What can we learn from the past? And more importantly, how can these lessons shape the way we engage in ministry today? Well, Nathan, we welcome Anna back to our Scent Life studios as we as we do this week's segment of Stories of the sent Ones. Anna, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. How are things going? They're going well. Life's doing good? Yes. Good. How are things in our GTI? They are continuing to move. That's good. So as we think about our Global Theological Initiative, we want to remind our listeners that uh, our Global Theological Initiatives at Southeastern is our, uh, our outreach, our external facing vision of what it means to be a Great Commission seminary. As we look around the world and think about how can we assist Christians uh, really develop and mature uh, as they grow as Christians and as they grow as uh, those who are following uh, after the Great Commission, right? Yes. It's a great summary of uh, global theological initiatives. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Well, Anna, today we are uh, telling stories again about uh, stories of the sent ones and thinking about the life of different people around the world or those that are part of history. Today we want to tell a story. Of a guy who we as Southern Baptists owe a lot too. It's true. A guy named Adoniram Judson. Uh, Adoniram Judson is uh, the father of our Baptist missionary movement. Yes, uh, which is know, ironic. That's exactly right, because <laughs> he didn't really leave America as a Baptist. He did, did he? not. <laughs> the fact is that Adoniram Judson was appointed uh, as a Congregationalist missionary. And uh, you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement. Adoniram Judson and his wife and their missionary team got on a boat and they were going to India. And Judson knew when he got off the boat, he was going to have to find and talk to William Carey because he was going to the same part of the world. And he really thought it was his calling to convince Carey that believers' baptism was wrong. And so on the journey from the United States to India, he read the Bible. He did. And, uh, and what did he conclude? He concluded that he was wrong, that infant baptism wasn't supported by the Bible. And in fact, the only true baptism was baptism by believer, by immersion, uh, after you became a Christian, which led him to the stunning realization that he himself had never been baptized. So when he got off the boat, instead of trying to convince Kerry that he was wrong, he got off the boat and asked William Carry to baptize him. Uh, and so Kerry baptized Adam Judson, eventually baptized his wife uh, and members of the rest of his team, uh, which created its own little problem there, didn't it? It did. You know, the Congregationalists weren't very excited about supporting a missionary who was no longer a Congregationalist. There we go. And so he had to resign his post. And, uh, and in, in resigning his missionary post, um, he basically was, was without any support at all. And so he sent a man named Luther Rice back to the United States to raise money. To support our first Baptist missionary, Luther Rice founded the organization, which is, was our triennial convention, which eventually became the Southern Baptist Convention. And The fascinating thing about Adoniram Judson is that there, went, there was a season in his life when he was real skeptic, he was really against the gospel. Fascinating story. There was a time when he was uh, in a hotel room, apparently, and heard a man next to him dying, and the man was screaming out at night uh, in agony at facing a Christless death. The next morning, Judson got up and he asked uh, the owner of the of the hotel who was the man who was dying next door. And uh, Judson found out that it was one of his close friends, kind of close atheist friends from the university. And it was that stark realization of facing life and eternity without Christ that led uh, to Adam Judson becoming a Christian. Uh, it's crazy. It's a it's fascinating crazy. story. So later in his life, uh, he, he, he surrenders to the call to missions. He, again, as we've told the story, gets on a boat, travels uh, to India. Uh, Eventually, he ends up in Burma. And while he was there, uh, Judson went through many trials and persecutions. He lost several wives and Mm -hmm. some children, went through a real season of depression, but was a stalwart missionary, translated the Bible into the Burmese language, and and really uh, left a legacy of Christian missions and Christian activity among these people. Nathan Finn, who uh, was professor here and is now the provost, Uh, at a sister institution says, Adoniram Judson's translation uh, work is his most important legacy and it continues to reap gospel fruit in Myanmar and serves as an example for countless missionaries all around the world. With this and with his work, Judson holds a significant place in the development of the modern missionary movement. When Judson's family arrived in India, they got baptized and he resigned as a Congregationalist missionary showing his integrity, belief in doctrine, and what it meant to follow Jesus. And it really was the legacy uh, for what we as Southern Baptists look at uh, as a guy who, who we can look to as a great example of what it means to be a sent one. Sure. And I would add to that, One of the legacies that Adoniram Judson leaves us is a recognition that we can still be about God's mission, even if we face incredible suffering. Great point. And even if we face depression. Great point. Um, Obviously get the help you need, but, uh, but God can still use you. Amen. Good. Anna, thanks for being here. Thank you. Appreciate you jumping in as we talked about William Carey and really the important lessons that we can learn from his life. So look forward to seeing you next week as we talk about our stories of the sent ones. Thank you. You know, we've heard for nearly two years that we're living in and ministering in unprecedented times. The question is, is that actually true? Oh, sure. Most of us haven't faced circumstances like these, but sicknesses and diseases are not unheard of. In fact, uh, there are questions that we're dealing with today that have been dealt with by Christians for centuries. Uh, In fact, in the past, we've had Christians deal with sweeping uh, crises and sweeping illnesses, uh, just like the one we're dealing with with covid Let me set the stage for what we're going to talk about uh, today. In Carter Lindbergh, the European Reformation, he writes this. "Uh, The medieval population was hit with outbreaks of typhoid fever and then the terrible black death in all its forms, the bubonic plague, the pneumonic plague, the septomatic plague. The densely populated filthy cities were an ideal habitation for the rats, which carried fleas, and the thatched roofs and dirty Streets provided an ideal place, a launching pad for flea to person trajectories. Once the infected persons had transmitted the pneumonic forms of the disease by coughs and sneezes from one another, it's supposed that nearly 30% of the population succumbed to the illness. Some areas were passed over by the plague, while others were completely wiped out. So if we look back in church history, there are moments where these illnesses, these sicknesses just swept through. And what were the responses of Christians? Well, in some ways, they saw the plagues as the judgment of God. In other places, they grew paranoid. They believed that the races, other races, had intentionally infected them with these sicknesses. And even then, there was a real testing of their faith. Uh, The Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli nearly died from the plague in 1519 when it swept through Wittenberg. Several years later, Martin Luther wrote a book or a little track asking or answering the question whether it was possible or whether one should flee from the plague. Today, we actually want to talk about this era of church history and want to deal with questions about the Black Death, the plague, and what can we as contemporary Christians in the United States learn about ministry uh, in a pandemic I'm joined today by my friend, Dr. Stephen Ecker, who's the Associate Professor of Church History and Reformation Studies here at Southeastern. Stephen, welcome to The Scent Life. Appreciate you being here.
0: Thanks so much. Uh, I always hashtag love the Reformation, so uh, so I'm always thrilled to talk about uh, this really fantastic period from from Christian history.
1: And I'm glad you're here. You know, Stephen and I spent uh, almost two weeks traveling through Europe, was it three years ago, four years ago, for the 500th anniversary Mm -hmm. of the Reformation? Those were great times. We went to many of the places we're going to talk about today, actually. That's
0: right. A lot of these different spots, you know, sampling schnitzel along the way. That's right.
1: We we, we enjoyed our fair share of food and uh, fun and history as we walked through. Stephen, you are on Southeastern's campus. Um, you teach church history, but your real emphasis is in Reformation history. Uh, talk to us a minute about your studies, what brought you to this point, and perhaps more importantly, why would a guy— who wears Jordans and T-shirt and blue jeans, really be interested in what some would consider this stodgy habit or hobby of reading old, dusty books and learning from history.
0: Yeah, so appreciate that. Well, I mean, I I, I think in many respects, uh, we as Christians today, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And so for us to understand uh, what we believe theologically and how we practice uh, even our liturgical practices, even in a Baptist context, they're all... Interrelated and connected with those who have gone before us and so uh, I love that understanding history gives us a window uh, into our beliefs uh, and really should if we if we leverage these sources rightly can better inform the way in which we understand what it is that we, we believe and how we practice, and can always force us to ask questions about the maintenance of the faith. And I think that's what's so important to me, is thinking about the maintenance of the faith given once and for all, uh, but doing that, recognizing that context may shift, that what we're dealing with in the 21st century is different than christians in the 16th or the second century or the third century uh, but understanding this connectivity that goes on here and so uh, really seeing how there is this link with us mm-hmm. to those who have gone before us and that we have an obligation to receive what they have passed down to us to maintain it uh, rightly mm-hmm. and then this is what we talk about with mission we're right, pat yeah. this is the faith that we're passing forward to the next generation
1: that's right yeah that's exactly when we talk about the sent life god is a missionary god He's given us a faith. We pass that faith on. Uh, We do it uh, through our churches. We do it as we raise our children. But when we do it on the mission field, we're doing it to lost people and unreached people groups. You made the comment that history allows us to stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us and to learn um, from what other people have done. You know, for two years, we've heard this phrase we're living in unprecedented times. Uh the the language seems to sound like nobody has ever been here before. It's right. it's true that we've never been here before, right? I've never lived through a pandemic, Nathan's never lived through a pandemic, you've never lived through a pandemic. But are these times really unprecedented, say in the history of the church?
0: Yeah, and in that sense I would say no. Okay. Uh I mean certainly you think of this in terms of like A snowflake, right? Like every snowflake is unique. Right. And yet if you're talking about snow in the 21st century or snow in the 16th century, you still have to deal with the reality of the snow and how we interact with it. (laughs) And so uh, there are certainly things that overlap. And so, I mean, certainly when, when COVID first started coming through and everybody was talking about these things being framed in unprecedented ways uh i you know i kind of laughed all the time no no i mean like this is this is my world in the 16th century i mean even some of the historic documents that that we have from that period i mean i i knew of this luther text that's really important but Mm -hmm. i had as somebody who does a lot of work in the the swiss reformation i mean i've written on a, a plague song that zwingli wrote specifically in relation to him having endured and battled this this illness Got himself, himself. Yeah. yeah. So it's really that song uh, is written as a way of him recounting what he went through, mm. uh, not just to say this is what it was like, but there is a theological underpinning mm. that is there, and I think very much shaped his theology, okay. and that's what he was passing on through that Let's through see. that song. So he's he he's giving people a window of insight right. into his horrific experiences, almost dying, yeah. uh, and doing so for kingdom purposes to allow people to understand just how, how God had transformed him and taught him so many things through that, that horrific time.
1: Yeah, now we'll talk about Luther's uh, letter about Christians fleeing when the plague comes in, but you mentioned another one. You mentioned, mentioned something that Swingley wrote. Um, what's the name of that one? It's called The Plague Song or The Song of the Pestilence. The Song of the Pestilence, The mm-hmm. Plague Song. It'd be something worth, worth looking up, especially maybe for the people who've been through COVID, been in the hospital, they've been locked in ICU. Sure gone through something, trying to figure out what what's happened to them, maybe emotionally, spiritually, what they've gone through? Would you recommend maybe Zwingli's uh, work to them to read, to give some handles on their, what what's God may have taught them in Absolutely. that period?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it would be it would be a way for them to think about um, what they've gone through mm-hmm. and, more importantly, not just kind of the horrors of the experience, but asking the question, what was God doing mm-hmm. in and through that time and yeah. what they might learn through that, and that's really what—that's why Zwingli wrote it. He wanted people uh, in Zurich specifically, and then in the wider confederation uh, of Switzerland, to know uh, to know this God that had walked with him through this time of death, wow. uh, and as well, I mean, and knowing that, like he was in this case, he was the exception. Yeah, I mean, he his lived. brother, his brother Andrew, died of plague, wow. and so so this wasn't just well, look what God did in sparing me. This is really a way for him to say. God is sovereign, right. um, and he, he is the one who oversees our days, he numbers our days, uh, and for him it becomes a journey of trusting mm. in the sovereignty of God okay. and finding comfort, really coming to the grips of the reality of one's mortality okay. and finding rest in that, Good. that it's okay if I survive, and it's okay if I die. That's
1: good. So I tell you what we'll try to do. For for those of you who are listening, if you're interested in finding this document or maybe even the one that we'll talk about a little later, we'll find a way to link to those in our website uh, or our podcast introduction. So you can go back and click on those links. Okay, Stephen, I'm afraid that you and I, uh, we've kind of let the horse out of the station a little bit quickly. Um, some of our listeners are, I mean, they're maybe exercising in the gym or driving the car down the road. Uh, They don't have time to go pick up a book and look up these names, Fingley, Luther, Wittenberg, uh, Switzerland, the plague. Do us a favor as a historian and kind of set the stage here. Can you reintroduce us to some of these people and uh, reintroduce us to some of these places and what's going on uh, in this period of time, um, maybe in, in society, in the culture, and then uh, let's let's get people started as we move into and begin to answer the question about Christians responding in a pandemic.
0: Sure. I mean, obviously, October 31st to 1517, Luther famously nails the 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg yep. and just simply has questions about the nature of indulgences. Uh, this is, you know, a launching point of many people all throughout uh, Europe asking questions about the nature of belief deep-seated questions about the nature of the gospel, about salvation, okay. but also about the church and mm-hmm. issues related to authority. And okay. so, uh, obviously, contextually, you've got a number of different people, uh, many of whom are monks like Luther, okay. uh, others who are, uh, who are priests, and even uh, many of the Reformers themselves prove to be children of okay. priests. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they even have kind of like we think of this as an illegitimate upbringing, okay that already betrays questions about what it is that the church is supposed to be doing and practicing. And so they're simply asking these questions, especially now in light of the Scriptures. And that's really what starts off this this time of questioning, because now with the translation of the Bible into the vernacular, with the publication of different, um, different texts of Scripture, now they have a way of framing what... Uh, the church is doing mm. and what it's prescribing against the text, okay. and as they do that, they find issues, and then yeah. of course this is all you know what's going on in Switzerland is unique to their to their context. Okay. So different sure. people asking these very foundational questions, coming up with different answers, okay. and so that's why you end up with you know a German Reformation that is really driven by Luther. You end up with a, a Swiss Reformation that is guided by fig- figures like. Uh, Ulrich Zwingli, Martin Bootzer, and mm-hmm. later John Calvin. Yeah. Uh, and then we will eventually make its way up to places like okay. England and Scotland.
1: Good. So basically, roughly the beginning of the 1500s, the Bible is available to the common person in a common language. It's not in Latin anymore. People begin to read it. They begin to ask the question, hey, is this what we believe? Is this the way we should live? Is this the way church should be? And there started this movement from within the church to reform it. And eventually we have a break we have Mm -hmm. the Protestant church. We have the Catholic church. And so this is really what we mean when we talk about the Reformation. For sure. Um, Yeah. So then set the stage now. So you have these kind of stalwart men of the faith, right? If they'd had, they could have had their own podcasts, They could have had their own blogs. They could have done that thing. If those had been around, they weren't. But they wrote letters Mm -hmm. and they preached sermons. And we really want to dive into one today. But set the Mm -hmm. stage for us, if you would. What what's going on? socially here that really gives rise to this uh, to this letter that Luther, Luther wrote about the plague? What's happening in these areas? Yeah,
0: so two things I would think to, to kind of kick us off on this. One is to remember the Reformers are not ivory tower theologians. Okay. They're not just people cloistered away, you know, in... Late medieval and early, classrooms. yeah, they're not they're not in <laughs> classrooms just doing theology. Right. Uh, they're they're pastors and ministers, okay. and so everything that they do is not only theological, but it's very very practical. So they're working alongside the people, they're ministering alongside mm-hmm. of the people, uh, and to the people. And so uh, th- this 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 really connects practice and mm-hmm. doctrine uh, in a very substantive way in terms of their ministries. Secondly, uh, the way that. Best to really think about these reformers, especially these first generation reformers mm-hmm. like a Zwingli, like a Luther, those who were in the 1520s and right. 30s. Uh, they are, and I think Luther in particular is a classic example of this. They're what they what I call an occasional theologian. Okay, not that they're just occasionally, occasionally. sitting down <laughs> thinking about these things, <laughs> but they're writing to the occasion. Okay, right. Yeah. So uh, the only reason that they're writing a song of pestilence in uh-huh. Zwingli's case, or a you know a, a Treaties on whether one can flee from plague Is because they're dealing with it And so because of the contextual circumstances Something pops up in society And they want to address it But they want to address it specifically in a Christian way Mm. In a way that honors the text of Scripture But also maintains the mission of the church Okay,
1: good So uh, according to my my knowledge of history You're the expert here I'm not the expert Sometime the beginning of August uh, 1527 they discover a plague in Wittenberg. Somebody gets sick, something happens, um, uh, shut down the university, Luther goes home, people begin to get sick, It just kind of spreads through the air, like I said in the introduction, and starts by rats and fleas, and then it's coughing and sneezing, and people touching things, and other people touching after without washing their hands, and then touching their face, and everybody gets sick, right, just kind of spreads through. Um, Luther as an occasional theologian. So somebody asks him the question, right? Because if I understand correctly, kind of those with means or those up to would run from the city. Let's go to the hills where the air is clean. Only a few people would stay behind. Luther apparently stays behind in the city. Uh, And then somebody asks him, hey, What should what's the Christian response to the plague? Is that what's happening?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, even you know, just backing up for a second, even to Zwingli's story. One of the fascinating things about him is he's actually away on holiday in fifteen nineteen. Holiday, that's vacation. Vacation, that's right. right. So he's on vacation uh, in uh, uh, in a a neighboring city uh, when the plague hits Zurich. Okay, and our inclination and instinct would be to say, okay, let's get away from this. Like you said, there was options for some people to do that. Yeah. He's a minister of the gospel. Okay. Uh, he goes back to Zurich to minister through this, through this crisis. Hmm. And so it's, it's also, when you think about this contextual, this is, I think, really important to, to think through. Remember, we're talking about the, the, the early part of the 16th century. Hmm. There are hospitals, for instance, in Zurich. There are hospitals in, uh, in Germany. But the primary care of those in hospitals are not medical care. It's hmm. spiritual care. Okay. So they are ministering to the dead and the dying wow. in these hospitals. And so again, this is why Zwingli ends up getting sick. Okay. And this is why I think, as we'll see with Luther, he has to address this question, um, not just societally, but also for, for pastors. Yeah. What do we do? Uh, how do we care for people through? through really a pandemic through yeah. the, these sweeping uh, cases of, of illness and infection and of course we've seen this today in right. the past couple of years with with covid uh, there are hot spots mm-hmm. as we've learned you know there are uh, there are areas of, of you know higher infection rates right. all these new terms that we're all yeah. used to <laughs> right. they're dealing with that without the okay. same terminology okay. so I mean you know this goes through Zurich in sure. 1519. They're dealing with it still later, almost a decade later, hmm. in the late 1520s uh, in, in Germany. Okay. And so they're living with this, you know, in an ongoing way, just like we're living with this now. And so, yeah, so Luther, uh, as now in 1527, he's a very famous and popular figure. He's leading the yeah. German church. Uh, in many respects. So the, another pastor in a neighboring city has, actually the way that he, he begins this, this treatise, he's really kind of being pestered to give an answer to this question. <laughs> like, yeah, I wrote what do him we, multiple yes, letters. Yes, he did. Hey, I need clearly. to know,
1: should I stay or should I go? Clearly he's what written multiple
0: times. Yeah, yeah, he's written multiple times. And I think just from the outset, I think when you think about this, what Luther is doing in this treatise, which I think is one of the most brilliant things that he's doing here, and certainly something that we can learn from, um, is he's not going to necessarily say, this is the right way mm-hmm. to do things. Um, so he, it's like
1: somebody writes and says, what's the right decision? And Luther gives an answer, which is basically what?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, his answer uh, really is that what what he's going to offer to this friend of his, as he says, is we're going to give you our opinion as far as God grants us to understand Uh, and perceived. So he's actually, it's interesting, he doesn't, he doesn't even frame it in the first person. He says, not my (laughs) opinion, this is our opinion. In other words, this is what we're doing Mm. in Wittenberg. And at the end of the treaties, I love the way that he says this, uh, he basically says, look, this is what we think and conclude on this subject of fleeing. If you are of a different opinion, may God enlighten you. In other words, he's, he's not saying, I am the authority on this. You've asked me for my opinion. I'm going to try to give you some answers based upon wisdom, Mm. based upon Scripture. But, I mean, like we are at this moment, we're trying to make our way through this. And these are complex, layered issues that we're having to deal with. And so in doing this, he's going to frame Luther as um, some absolute foundational principles of things that must be done and must not be done. But in order to just say that there's, there's only one path on hmm. this, that's what he's trying to avoid. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's, and that's good. I think if we look at our, our setting today, I mean, you make a great point, right? This is complicated. In many ways, globally, it's not unprecedented. Historically, it's not unprecedented. But we've never been here before. Luther would make the same statement. I think, okay, I've never done this before. I'm trying to make the best decision that I can, knowing what I know about the Bible, what I know about people, and even what I understand about the disease. I'm going to make a wise decision about whether someone should stay. Or someone should leave. So, and and so as we read this, let me just ask this this kind of divert this question. This is Luther wouldn't say. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the one answer. He's basically saying, look, as I've thought about this, as we've thought about this, and prayed about this, this is our position. So, for our listeners, those who are paying attention, why would you recommend that we pay attention even to Luther's advice today? What is it about this track that you find so compelling and even helpful when Luther basically comes to it and says? Look, I don't know. Let's just do the best we can.
0: Yeah, I think what's helpful for us in looking back at Luther on this is he acknowledges that there's going to be people who are going to say we have to stay no matter what. Mm -hmm. And he's going to also deal with those who are going to say, no, we should go. So it's really a question of should we stay and be about our lives Mm -hmm. or should we go and cloister away from this for the preservation of life? Okay. And so this is a this is where we're at societally right now. And so we really have a lot of conflict as to how do we open up Mm. the economy and society? What do we do with churches? Mm. Do churches open? Do they close? Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Are we going to mandate vaccination? Are we going to make that just so these are the things that he's thinking about. And so one of the things that I love about what he's doing here is he really kind of frames this in two paths. Okay, there's those that are going to be very stringent and say we have to stay okay. and there are going to be those that say no we need to go and I think what Luther does here in this work is he really accommodates the answer to be either. Okay. But with the caveat that there are sinful ways of going hmm. and there are sinful ways of staying oh. and so it's not it's not just as easy as yes we do this or no we don't do this. He still gives wisdom okay. as to how to do this all and I think this is the important part all that the mission of God continue forward. Huh, that's a good point. So so what were some of the things that
1: he gets? So can you walk us through some of his advice? And then we'll loop around and make it, try to build some bridges from the 1500s uh, to the to the 2021, 20, 2020 season. So what, how does he give advice related here?
0: Yeah, so in terms of the idea of staying, he's going to just frame this as those who... Um, Say that you must stay, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and in doing that, what he's what he's concerned about mm-hmm. is forcing a greater, stronger faith onto the totality of his people okay. that may not be present there. Okay. So, in other words, he's trying to accommodate the German populace—some mm-hmm. who have great faith, some who have uh, weaker faith. In fact, one of the the illustrations he gives for this that I love is is he talks about uh, you can have some who have a strong faith mm-hmm. and they can drink a poison. And be fine. You have some who have a weak faith and they they will succumb to the poison. It's it's like the remember from the movie The Princess Bride (laughs) when they sit down and they're they're talking about the iocane powder uh, and and who's going to be able to eat and drink this this iocane powder and survive. uh, And one had built up an immunity to it over time. So Luther recognizes that there are going to be some who are going to be able to endure the fires of what it's going to take to minister through this. Others are not, and that's okay. In fact, uh, to to force the weak to go with the faith of the the strong is actually unfair. In fact, this is one of my favorite quotes from the work. He he says this. He says, when a strong man uh, travels with a weak man, he must restrain himself so as to not walk at a speed proportionate to his strength, Hmm. lest he set a killing pace for his weakness companion wow. and so again this is where the pastoral Luther comes yeah. out I'm not just going to require everyone to stay that would be foolish that would be to take life frivolously mm. and to recognize that uh, that we can continue the work of the ministry we can continue the work of society mm-hmm. we don't need to throw caution to the wind here but we also don't need to put a standard of remaining and the standard of, of ministering through right. this on everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like one of, the, one of the bits of advice that Luther gives as well is he talks about this notion of, of Christian ministry as essential work. You know, early mm-hmm. in the pandemic, we asked asked, who's the essential worker? Who's the non-essential worker? And, and when Luther is addressing, should we stay or should we go? He's reminding, hey, look, somebody needs to stay and minister to those who are dying that the gospel is important, that the Christian message is significant, it's essential. In fact, he says this, For when people are dying, they most need spiritual ministry, which strengthens and comforts their conscience by the word and the sacrament and the faith that overcomes death. In other words, what he seems to be saying here is it doesn't matter what your fear level is, there are people who are just essential. He talks about the state workers, it talks about the church workers. There are things that we have to do in order to protect uh, what's going on. So, in other words, some may leave and some may stay, but we can't abandon our post uh, when people most need. It's a platform for the gospel, right? As we minister yeah. to those who are sick and those who are dying, whether they're Christians or not, it's a great opportunity for those who are not believers to see the reality of our faith, that our faith gives us strength in the face of, of death and difficulty. For those who are Christians, they've suffered long they've, or they've been faithful, now they're suffering. We minister to them. So it really comes at this from a, a perspective of there is something very important about what we do in the church. It's not frivolous. It's not just something we throw aside.
0: Right. Yeah. And so for the ministers in particular, uh, as you mentioned, theirs is a work at a most crucial moment in time. Uh, and and he does mention here and references the idea uh, that ministers of the gospel are required to care for the dead and the dying. Yeah. And and as, I, as I've reflected on this and watched over the past two years with COVID, I think this is the thing that has been the most frustrating for me okay. is to watch the way in which just like Luther, he says, there are essential people in the, in the civil affairs, right. so there are like mayors and judges, they have to remain, they have a work that has to continue, but he 's also saying here the ministers have a work that must continue and I look at and I, and I lament really the fact that for for several years now we've had we 've had people who were sick, who were disconnected from ministers not yeah. being able to even get into hospitals. Yeah. And so when I think about this and I think about the fact that God designed us in, as spirit embodied beings, yeah. that requires a care for the whole of the person, right. not just a medical care, which, of course, is necessary. Right. We need medical doctors and we're thankful for them. As Luther would highlight here, I mean, yeah. he's, he's got some really strong words on medicine. Uh, but at the same time, we're not exclusively bodies. Right. Right. Like we are we are spirit embodied beings mm-hmm. we need care for the soul just as we need care for the body uh, and so this to him is where ministers are absolutely frontline essential workers this is why zwingli is, as a frontline you know kind of first responder runs of the gospel he's it, run, running back yeah, to like the like a fireman runs that, into a burning exactly, building exactly that's the picture he realized he
1: was a pastor his community was suffering. His church was suffering. He said, i got to go back. Even if I get sick and die, even if I'm a necessary person to help these people to minister to them.
0: Yeah. And what he's doing here with all of these positions, whether you're talking about ministers or magistrates mm-hmm. uh, or even common Christians. And I love right. this, too. He's really talking about this in three types of people, ministers, magistrates and the average Christian there, there are things that have to be cared for. I mean, he talks about making sure that the orphans are cared for. You right. can't abandon the orphans. Yep. Somebody has to care for them. But he also says that uh, as long as they are being cared for, hmm. there's no need to throw caution to the wind. Oh, okay. In other words, uh, he even gives the illustration. If a house is on fire, you as a Christian walking by have the obligation to go and try to put the fire out. Right. But if you're walking by and a house is on fire and there are already people that are effectively putting the house out, you're not obligated then yeah. to stay there. And so one of the things I like here about what Luther's doing is he's really striking a balance between what has to be done, mm. but also not being careless with the sanctity of human life. Yeah. And not just even our th- own lives. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Not throwing caution to the wind where it comes to just being careless about how we handle these situations. He even, interestingly enough, he cites Athanasius, mm-hmm. who uh, was uh, one of the one of the great early church fathers, uh, who five different times was exiled uh, during the <laughs> Arian controversy, and he and he doesn't look down upon uh, upon uh, Athanasius for that, but he actually. Uh, he actually supports what he did because there were ministers who stayed behind okay. and remained. Okay. So it was okay for him to flee and not to be executed because the work was going to continue. Now, if the work was not going to continue, Athanasius would have I'm had to have to stayed.
1: Stay. Yeah. That's good. Let, let's, um, let's see what we can do. I, this is a great history lesson. I think there's so much we can learn from this and just a fascinating moment in history. But let, let's take just a second, see if we can build a bridge from the Reformation to our contemporary setting. Luther's answering the question should we stay or should we go? Should we flee to the mountains? Should we stay behind? But very few people today really I mean I think there may be some who fled, some who've gone, you know, to some mountain or something to lock themselves away, but most people on this this notion of staying and going isn't really running to the mountains or staying in the city where it feels like everything is infected. But there are other ways that people are staying and going, right? When you and I talked about this before, you said, yeah, but let's don't forget there are other ways to, to run. There are other ways to hide, which doesn't involve going to some compound somewhere and locking all the, the people out. So from, 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 from what we're seeing today, what would this staying and going look like uh, in 2020, 2021
0: related to COVID? Yeah, I mean, the staying and going could look very differently. Uh, and especially, you know, in terms of the, the going uh, in this case, yep. which would be cloistering away from okay. these pockets of COVID or the, the infection. Yep. Um, one of the things that, that Luther is clear about here is those who are going, uh, it doesn't actually distance you from the reality of death, hmm. which is the thing you're most afraid That's of. A good point. So he's talking about these are the weak in faith who are going to leave. Mm-hmm. And again, he's not. He, he wants to preserve the sanctity of human life. Right. We do not want to just have... You know, if if we've got five firemen, that are going to put a fire out. We don't need eight there. Right. Right. So we don't need eight people to risk their lives. We've got the five that are going to do this. So he's not he's not saying that to leave is wrong. But he is also saying if you're leaving because you're afraid, Mm. that's okay. But understand. And he's very explicit about this. You can't run away from from death and you can't run away from the judgment of God. That's good. And so I think I mean, it's not good.
1: Right. But it is. It's a good point. Right? Yeah.
0: So for us, we, we have to recognize that uh, that we're not going to as- we may be able to escape COVID, mm. but we're not going to escape the greater threat undergirding COVID, yeah. which is our mortality yeah. and death.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's great. We have people who who are responding in such a way as if whatever decision we make somehow ab- aborts God's plan. The Bible talks about the wages of sin is death. So one of, the, one of the real issues that they were wrestling with during the plagues was, is this the judgment of God, and what should we do about the judgment of God? And Luther basically says, well, of course it's the judgment of God because sickness and death are a result of sin. But that doesn't mean we just approach it callously as if, well, God's judging us, so we may as well take it, and we shouldn't. So there's that, and then that we shouldn't just ignore it. But I think your point is spot on in this running and, uh, or staying That there's so many of us who have chosen over the last couple of years to live our lives as if we're insulating ourselves from death itself. Yeah. Insulating ourselves from sickness itself. That's not that's not real. That's not Christian.
0: Right. No. And what and remember for him, I mean he is a he's a medieval thinker. Right. So when he talks about this this pestilence, he's not just talking about it in terms of like sneezing and coughing. Right. Like he sees that as as spirits. (laughs) And and I think I think we look down upon that because we know better in terms of viruses and stuff, and sure. yet Luther is on to something here—that there is a spiritual component yeah. behind all of this—and uh, and so this idea of trying to run away—and I love—I actually love the way that Luther frames this, in that saying—he he talks about the devil's role in all this mm. and these demonic spirits—and yeah. and we, as he would say, we can't let the devil win in this battle. That's a great. So and so we don't want. Satan would want you to be paralyzed by fear Mm. in all of this. Again, take the necessary precautions that you need to take with your medical doctor and so on. But then also don't allow that then to derail your life Mm. to where this becomes this ongoing fear that becomes paralyzing for you. You have as a as a Christian, Mm -hmm. you've got work that needs to be done. Uh, that that you can't just be de- derailed by yeah. this, and so at the same time, though he he also doesn't want, he also doesn't want people to who are going back to treat this too casually, okay, uh, and to in a cavalier manner. That's a good point. And so and so j- just as we've seen in, in our in our day and age, we have people who, you know, still you know they put like four masks on. Mm after they've been vaccinated twice over and they're still having their (laughs) groceries delivered and stuff like, you know, again, this is where we start talking about this paralyzing fear beyond this. Um, Which stops
1: them from being involved in ministry. Correct. That's the key point, right? It's that as Christians, God's called us to do something, to love people, to care for people, to be in community. God's called us to extend the gospel. And when our fear of sickness fear of COVID, whatever paralyzes us from life and ministry, then we're falling into the devil's traps. The the devil is laughing in some ways. We say, ha ha, I got you fooled. But then you're about to talk about those on the other side, right? But
0: those on the other side who are really taking a cavalier attitude about this, like This stuff isn't real, even doing some really offensive stuff, trying to actually praying in some ways on the weak, trying to on the weak in this in this equation, trying to to push their nonchalant attitude onto those who are weak. Luther would actually say you're actually doing the devil's work there. And he is he actually has stronger words for those people Hmm. who would say that, if, if, for instance, if you have knowledge that you are sick Hmm. and you don't cloister yourself away that you are actually not only taking this in a nonchalant manner to the tempting point. Tempting God. Tempting God. Uh, and if and if you don't actually participate and use medicines that that we have available mm. to us, ointments and so on that are available, not only are you a suicide, mm. you could be a murderer wow. if you wow. infect other people in this. Wow, that's
1: crazy. Read the quote there with that you got.
0: What Luther would say to those who take this in a really frivolous manner, he would say uh, they are those who are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicines. They do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but lightheartedly Hmm. make sport of it. And wish to prove how independent they are mm. they say that it is if it is God's punishment if he wants to protect them he can do so without medicines or our uh, carefulness this Luther says is not trusting God mm. it's tempting him God has created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and take good care of the body so that we can live uh, in good health and so he's taking aim at those who would take this in a very very frivolous manner that would uh, really be tempting God in this regard, uh, and as well, not loving neighbor well because of their, their carefree lifestyle. Well,
1: that's good. So we've talked about this now, So I think we can, um, I mean, it's fascinating conversation to think about uh, uh, the plague, the Reformation, really Luther's pastoral advice for us. Uh, today, so uh, as we can kind of summarize some of this up, how would you, how would you summarize this? Maybe for a couple of statements or summary statements that may relate to church ministry today, and for the Sent Life podcast, we relate to our our missional ambition and missional intention. So, what would be some of the the recommendations you think that would roll out from from this tract that Luther wrote?
0: Yeah, so I think I think first and foremost, primarily, this is about recognizing that. The work of the gospel, the work of the church must go on Mm. even through these difficult circumstances Uh, that 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 has to go on even at the risk of some who might who might become infected and might actually die. But the 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 path of the missionary is never a safe path. Right. Like we're called to an obedience there uh, regarding living our lives for Christ and making sure that this gospel continues to be maintained Mm. Uh, and pass forward. So this is essential work. Yep. It can't stop. It can be modified okay. That's a good. to uh, allow for the adaptation of unique circumstances and settings. As we've seen here, we've got a public health crisis. Sure. That doesn't mean that we do things the way that we've been doing them, mm. but it doesn't mean that we stop the essential work of the church or the essential work uh, of missions.
1: That's good. Yeah, we appreciate that. And Stephen, thanks for being with us today. Let's do one more thing, kind of a little bit of uh, comedy relief right at the end since we talked about this morbid moment of the plagues and COVID. I opened up by saying, what does uh, the old nursery rhyme Ring Around the Rosie have to do with COVID? uh, Land the plane. Is this Ring Around the Rosie... It's a nice, cute little song, right? We sing it in the playground. Our kids hold hands. They dance around in circles. They hold their hands up. They fall down. But it wasn't always really cute, was it?
0: No, and obviously uh, th- this does have a larger context. Um, the rosy... Yeah, the ring around the rosy. That's, that's, that's referenced there is the uh, is the splotch or the the boil that would oftentimes be associated with things, the ring that comes around. So you're talking about like skin infections and skin diseases. <laughs> right. uh, the pocket full of posies is reference to the way in which they would use flowers and the fragrance of flowers to actually cover uh, the stench of either these illnesses or even death itself. Mm. Uh, and we all fall down is just simply a recognition of the mortality of us all. Uh, and so, yeah, this is not exactly—it's <laughs> a strange way of uh, of thinking about these things on the playground, but
1: uh, it just is. We'll never sing that song the same, right? Never so again, never it, again. It, it it forever forever changes the way we think about nursery rhymes. Hey, Stephen, thanks so much for being with us today. What a fascinating conversation! Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Scent Life as we really dive into. Uh, what is our missional response to a pandemic and how do we live and and minister in such a way that the gospel is extended, that people are cared for, and that we realize that the missionary uh, work that we do is essential work. And so uh, we we will uh, do our best to post links to uh, all of the works that we refer to in this podcast uh, in our description, so you can click on those and read them. And uh, again, if you've got any any questions, feel free to shoot us a, a note about that. Feel free to pass this on uh, to those around. Like the podcast that helps other people uh, view it and hear or not view it but hear it as well. And again, thanks so much for for tuning in. Remember that we are uh, we are those who are following after our missionary God. We're his missionary people, and we live our life sent uh, on his mission. So until next time, uh, we just pray that God would use you uh, to make much of him, to make much of his kingdom and his work, even in this strange time uh, that we would see people come to faith in Christ and the church grow and mature.